John chapter 6, beginning at verse 25. First part of the chapter, uh, you see the headings in the NIV, the feeding of the 5,000. And following on from that then, Jesus begins to speak of himself as the bread of life. And here uh, we're taken right to the heart of the work of the Savior, not physical bread. He's provided that uh, in feeding the 5,000. But now he speaks of himself as the bread of life. The crowd have followed Jesus uh, when he's left after the, the miracle. They follow him. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. When they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. But it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise him up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Well, I don't need to tell you, of course, we are in a new year. Indeed, we're well through the first month of a new year. Hard to believe that the time is going in so quickly. The arrival of a new year is often a time for taking stock One of the things we'll be doing, God willing, at the annual meeting on Saturday, taking stock of the work that's been done in the past year. And so a time, perhaps, for taking stock of our own lives as we enter a new year, looking back at what has gone, looking around, perhaps, at our present circumstances, and looking ahead, plans for the future, and all of that. Uh, is right and proper. Sometimes, of course, our particular circumstances can make that taking stock quite urgent. 
maybe because of your circumstances, what's happening in your own life or the life of friends or family, you find yourself asking some of the big questions. Not just the small day-to-day issues, but the big questions perhaps about the purpose of life. Do you wonder the stage you've reached in life? Well, why am I here? How should I be living? What goals should I have for my life? Perhaps asking, well, what would the Lord have me to do with whatever time he gives me? And you know that not to have a purpose in life, not to have a sense of direction, is a difficult thing to cope with. Uh, It often lies uh, behind issues of depression when people see no purpose and have no direction in life. These are the big questions. Uh, Not to have a sense of purpose can be very debilitating and discouraging. The Lord Jesus Christ was a man with a powerful sense of purpose. Perhaps none has ever had such a sense of his purpose in the world as the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's brought out for us particularly in John's account of the life and ministry of Jesus. It's there in the other Gospels, but John particularly tells us of a Savior who came with a mission, with a purpose to be fulfilled. You see that in John 6 and verse 38, verse we read a short time ago. He says, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. The Lord Jesus was a man sent with a mission to fulfill. He had a very powerful sense of purpose to do the will of his Father. And if we understand what Jesus meant by doing the will of his Father, that'll take us right to the very heart of his mission. Who is this Jesus? Why did he come? What is the work that he has come to complete? And so we want to think uh, for a time this morning of verses we find in John 6, and particularly verses 39 and 40, thinking of doing the Father's will. John 6, verse 39, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day day, doing the Father's will. Several things that we see uh, in these two verses from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that we see is the giving, the giving. As the Lord Jesus considers the will of him who sent me, he indicates that it relates to a particular people, to all that he has given me. 
a specific group of people. And it is personal, not just a faceless crowd, but he speaks in verse 40 of raising him up. It's a people he knows as individuals, a people he loves, and a people that has been given to him by his Father. Lord Jesus Christ is very conscious that he has been given a task to perform a mission to fulfill that relates to a particular people. Not to all mankind, but to a particular people. And we read of them again, verse 37, all that the Father gives to me. So the Lord Jesus Christ has a people in view as he thinks of doing his Father's will. It is for them that he will perform this work. And it's significant in the upper room. We looked at that some time ago. As Jesus prepares his disciples for his departure by means of the cross, again, this is very much in his mind. He's preparing his disciples and he's thinking of the church to come. And there in John 17 and verse 9, he says, I pray for them. I don't pray for the world, but I pray for those you have given me, for they are yours. Those you've given me. In the first instance, of course, it's the disciples sitting there around the table with him. The 11 disciples. But it's clear as Jesus prays to his Father in John 17 that he's a bigger view, not just of that little group of disciples, but as John 17, uh, 20 describes them, those who will believe in me through their testimony. It is the whole church in all ages that the Lord Jesus has in view. They are the people who have been given to him by the Father. The words of the Lord Jesus here point us to the glorious truth of God's sovereign election of sinners to salvation in eternity. And that great truth runs all the way through the Bible. We have it in Ephesians 1 and verse 4, for example. And there Paul writes of how the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Isn't that an amazing thought? Before God said, let there be light, he had chosen his people in Christ for salvation, an eternal election. A people that were given to the Lord Jesus Christ, to God the Son, so that he might save them from their sins. And of course, this election is not some kind of abstract, impersonal lottery. As if God somehow closed his eyes and stuck a pin in a list of the human race, and at random, these people will be saved. The Bible describes election as God setting his love, 
his personal love upon a people, even before the creation of the world. It is an expression of eternal love. 1 John 4.19, John tells us we love. Why? Because he first loved us. God's love precedes any love we have for God, any interest we have in God. You find that great gospel verse like Romans 5 and verse 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we were trying to be good. Not while we were making our best effort and and, and weren't doing too badly. No, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. When we were in darkness and we were lost and helpless, Christ died for us. And in eternity... God loved us. It's sad that some Christians shy away from the doctrine of election. Some can't even stand it, it seems. It's repulsive. And that's tragic. Because the Bible's doctrine of election is simply God's love expressed before time began. God's love to sinners before he made the world. Before the first tick of the clock of history, God loved his people. And that is not a frightening thing. It is not a repulsive thing. It is beautiful. And it is shot through from start to finish with the love of God, the giving. And it's significant Jesus uses a perfect tense in the original here. Has given. All that he has given. We might not notice that. We might skip over it, but it's important. Why? Because it tells us that this gift is permanent. The Father has given a people to Christ. And that giving will never be revoked. It is a gift that will not be taken back. And that is full of assurance for the Christian. That's why as Christians we can have assurance of salvation. And know that we will not be lost. It's not because our faith is so strong. Or we are so spiritual. It's because God loved us in eternity. Gave us to Christ And nothing can undo what God has done. All that the Father has given Christ. The giving. Then the second thing that we see in these verses is the believing. The believing. How is this giving made visible? How do we see it? How do we know that it has taken place in the life of any particular individual? How do we know that someone has been given to Christ? Because we can't read God's mind. 
We can't, as it were, sneak a peek into the book of life and and read the names there. We can't do that. How do we know then that people have been given to Christ? And he tells us. Because this election becomes visible, evident, in the response of sinners to Christ as he is preached in the gospel. As the gospel is proclaimed, there are men and women who believe in him, who accept that gospel message and trust in the Savior. That's what Jesus means when in verse 38 he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Now, all around him, listening on that occasion recorded in John 6, there were people who rejected Jesus. In fact, most of them, at the end of his preaching, turned their backs and walked away. Until only the little band of disciples was left. So there were many who didn't come to him, even though they heard his message. But there are those who come the elect of God chosen in Christ in God's time will come and will respond positively to the gospel and to the Savior who's proclaimed in that gospel. Maybe they hear a sermon. Maybe a Christian friend talks to them. Maybe they read the Bible for themselves or a Christian book. And they hear the call to believe in Christ and they respond. And so eternal election that we can't see becomes visible in this world of time as sinners believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It becomes visible. And Jesus spells it out for us in verse 39. Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. There must be believing in the Lord Jesus Christ if a sinner is to be saved and is to receive eternal life. The two are inseparable. We will not be saved if we do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Philippian jailer asked the Apostle Paul, what must I do to be saved? Acts 16. Paul's answer was, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It's a glorious truth. Of course, the other side of the coin is, if you do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be saved. Do not deceive yourself that somehow you may get into heaven without believing in Christ. You will not. And the Bible makes that as clear as it possibly could. There is no salvation if you do not believe in the Lord Jesus. If you do not look to the Son and believe in him, you will not have eternal life. Now we know from what Jesus says here and from what the rest of the Bible says, behind your response of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is God's sovereign election. And God enables the sinner to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is all wonderfully true. 
And that's why it's God who's all the glory and salvation because he enables us to believe in Christ. And that was true of Lydia, for example, in Acts 16. Why did Lydia believe Paul's preaching when other people didn't? Acts 16, 15, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. And if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, it's because the Lord opened your heart and enabled you to believe in Christ. But none of that takes anything away from your responsibility to believe in Christ in order to be saved. Nobody can say, well, if I'm elect, I'll be saved no matter what I do. That's nonsense. Complete nonsense. If you're elect, in God's time, you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be saved. That's the other side of the gospel, as it were. There's Christ freely available to all who come to him. And if you look to the Son and you believe in him, you will have eternal life. If you do not, you will not have eternal life. The Lord Jesus makes that crystal clear. The giving, the believing. Thirdly, the retaining. The retaining. The Lord Jesus makes the fullness of his mission clear. Verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none. I shall lose none. Jesus speaks of his mission in terms of success and certainty. He does not entertain failure for one second. He will lose none. The Father's will is not uncertain or vague or tentative. He's not wondering, well, what is my Father's will? He knows it clearly. And he knows it will be fulfilled. There is no possibility that the will of the Father who sent him could fail. It cannot. All will come to me, he says in verse 37. And he echoes it here. God's plan and purpose cannot fail. That's a wonderful assurance for us to have. So many of our plans come to nothing. Isn't that the case? Hopes that are never realized. Here's the plan of God laid back in eternity that will be fulfilled in every detail. Hear the same thing in John 17 and verse 12. Again, Jesus, before he goes to the cross, Speaking to his father in prayer, none has been lost, he says, except the one doomed to destruction. And that, of course, was Judas. And it was no reflection on Jesus' power that Judas was lost. Judas never belonged to the Lord. 
It's not that Jesus lost his grip on Judas. Judas was never in the Lord's hand. But for those who were in the hand of the Lord, he lost none. And he will lose none. Those words of the Lord Jesus are full of comfort and assurance for the Christian, for those who believe in him as their Savior and Lord. He will lose none of us. Not a single one. John 10, 28. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And he emphasizes it when he says no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. So we cannot be snatched out of the Father's hand. And verse 37 here says, we'll never be driven away. We'll never be thrown out of the Father's hands. And so we are kept safe and secure. There is no power in the universe that can take us out of the Lord's hand. Remember those wonderful words at the end of Romans 8? Go home and read them. Paul says, I'm convinced And neither death nor life, angels nor principalities. And he surveys the entire universe. All the things that we might fear would separate us from God's love. He says there is nothing in the entire creation that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are kept secure. Now that, of course, is no excuse for us to be careless and to think we can live any way we choose because God will make sure we're saved at the end of it. Rather, it should stimulate us to obey the Lord and to serve him and to love him. What a God! What a salvation! What a Savior! And we long to obey him. We're not careless. We're encouraged to persevere by the assurances that he provides for us. We can always come back to this. That as we persevere, as we seek to walk faithfully with the Lord Jesus Christ, our not being lost doesn't depend on on our grasp of the Savior because sometimes our grasp of Christ is pitifully weak. It depends on his grasp of us that cannot weaken, that will not be withdrawn. He holds on to us. And so a Christian can say, I'm sure I'm saved. A Christian can say, I'm sure I will be in heaven. And that's not pride. And that's not presumption. It is not saying, what a great Christian I am. It's saying, what a great Savior I have. And so because we take Christ at his word, we can be sure of salvation. 
we can be sure that we will persevere to the end. And we can be sure we'll be in heaven. That assurance is not a statement about us. It's a statement about the Lord and his grace and his love and his power. Christ will retain every one of his people. Not one of them will be lost and not one of those for whom Christ died will fail to be in glory. Not one. That's a truth we should often think about because often we need encouragement and we need reassurance. And the danger sometimes is when Christians feel they need reassurance, they look in and they try to read their own hearts And and am I as keen for the Lord as I should be? And do I read my Bible as much as I should? And do I love the Lord as much as I could? And the answer to all of those questions will always be no. It will always be no. You could always do better. And if you're depending for your assurance of salvation in looking in and taking your own spiritual temperature, friends, you'll spend your Christian life discouraged and depressed. You need to look out of yourself and look to Christ and take him at his word and believe what he says. And that is where you'll find your assurance. And that's where you'll find your security in him. He will lose none. Not one. And that is full of comfort. And how we need that comfort every day. The giving, the believing, the retaining And finally, the Lord speaks of the raising. The raising. We said Jesus speaks the language of certainty, doesn't he? There's no doubt in his mind for a moment. And that applies to every aspect of his doing his Father's will, including the final goal of the Father's will. And Jesus states it twice, almost as if, He's making sure you couldn't miss it. It underlines the importance and the certainty of this. He says, I shall lose none, but raise them up at the last day. And he makes it absolutely personal and individual in verse 40. I will raise him up. It's not just a mass of people It's individuals he knows and loves. And he will raise each one up. Same note of certainty. The final goal of God's plan. And so the final goal of our Christian hope is resurrection. Not just the survival of our soul, our spirit after death. That is wonderful. The Lord has more for us, eternal life 
as the Bible describes it, embraces the whole person, your body as well as your soul. God saves complete people. And our bodies share in salvation. And in a real sense, until our bodies are reunited with our souls, with our spirits, we're incomplete. The saints in glory are waiting. They're in bliss. But there's still more to look forward to. Romans 8.23 tells us that in a a profound sense, although now we are God's children, there's no doubt about that, that's what John tells us in his letter, in a sense our adoption isn't complete until our bodies are raised up. We're looking forward to our adoption, Paul says in Romans 8.23. It's sealed by the redemption of our bodies. And then salvation will be complete. Body and soul, we will be with the Lord. So Jesus says here, I will raise him up. Jesus himself when he appears in glory, will raise up his people. I will raise him up. As Paul tells us in Philippians 3.21, he will give us new bodies. He will give us bodies like his glorious body. Now there's much about that we can't understand. Some of it we can guess at, but it will far exceed anything we've imagined. Bodies like his glorious body. The risen Savior will bring the Father's will to a triumphant conclusion. Nothing will be lacking in what Christ has done. Every detail of the Father's will accomplished. And those that God loved in eternity and chose in Christ and gave to Christ as his people will share in that glory, body and soul in the new creation for all eternity. He will fulfill the Father's will in every detail. That should delight the Christian's heart There is no uncertainty about the work of Christ. There is no doubt about the completion of the work of salvation in every one of his people. None of them will be missing. None of them will fail to reach that final glory. And it will be by his grace and his power. And all the glory will be his. We'll not go around in the new creation patting each other on the back and saying, didn't you do well? You persevered. Well done. No, we won't. We'll praise the Lord that held on to us and brought us there and gave us that glory that we can never lose. Here's the one who does the will of the Father. And he will complete it in the glory of his return, in the raising up of every one of his people. Make sure you'll 
be there. Make sure. Look to the Son and believe in him. While you still have life and breath and opportunity. You'll never be able to say you didn't know. You'll never be able to say, I didn't know how to be saved. I wasn't told. If you never heard it before today, and you never hear it again, you heard it here. You know how to be saved. Don't fail to reach that glory by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. 